Good morning. So this last week, got a phone call from Jake, said that he was sick. And just so you all know, it's your fault that I'm here. I warned you last time, if you don't pray enough, this will happen again. So unfortunately, this is all on you. Uh, Long story short, as that started to progress a thought process, I was on the road that day, and uh, I started trying to think, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to do? And it was a little bit more heads up than than the last time, so I actually don't have even a decent excuse as to why it's going to be bad this week, because I actually had time to prepare. Uh, but I started thinking, it's like, what do we need to hear the most in 2022 in our church? And so I started putting some thought into it, and, and I came up with this uh, with this sermon. And if you would call it anything, I would call it probably "Get on the Boat." And so we're going to talk about Noah's uh, Noah's boat story here, but we're not really going to focus on probably what most people have heard about Noah and the Ark. Uh, we're going to talk about some different things. And so it got me to thinking about what I like to see um, if if I was in God's perspective to, to look down and, and see my children. So it got me to thinking, what do I like to see? What's some of the things that brings me joy in my life? Uh, I love Christmas time because I love to see people cheerful and smiling. And it's kind of like a different season. And so you get to see people in a little bit of a different uh, take sometimes. Uh, I would probably be driving a new pickup truck if I had all the money I spent on roses for this girl sitting down here. Uh, because I found whenever I showed up with a thing of roses when we were dating, this really big smile got bigger. And so like I find, find myself drawn to things that brings people joy. And I think a lot of us probably fall in that category, especially with kids. Do you, do you like to see your kids happy? If, you, if you're a parent in the room, you like to see your kids happy, right? I mean, sometimes we kind of like to torment them too, I know. But I mean, like, as a general rule, we actually like to see them happy and have joy. And so I got to thinking about that. What's some of the things that brings us joy in today and today's season and, and looking around? And, and it reminded me uh, this last fall, we were down at Marion at a uh, youth conference and I turned around, I saw Alex Crane running a soundboard and very intently serving his church. And I look around here and a lot of the people that were just up here on stage, a lot through the years that has come through the youth ministry where we've seen them serve over and over and over. And and it brought me a lot of joy to start thinking about that. Because what you see is a, is a pattern that happened early on in their life, a lot of times where they would serve, and they would serve selflessly and just show up and do whatever needed to be done. And that brings us a whole lot of joy, especially as adults, to watch that happen, to watch them share their joy in life. And so what I got to thinking about is, um, is in the story of, of Noah and the ark, um, it got me to thinking about what does this church look like in comparison to that time? How many people there were? How many people were serving? How many people made it on the ark? And, and so as I dug into it, I was actually kind of, uh, I found out some stuff that honestly I was very intrigued with as well. And so as I started researching that and I started looking at it from my perspective in today's people versus God's perspective back then as well, um, I'm reminded on a real regular basis that some of the same things that bring me joy today are some of the same things that bring him joy every day as well. To look down at his children, to see them happy, to, to see them prosper, to see them doing what they were created to do. 
And so as I studied this uh, for Noah's, uh, Noah's Ark here, um, it was, I guess, uh, like I said, it, it's not necessarily about what Noah did, but whatever everybody else was and wasn't doing is what, kind of what I wanted to focus on. So if you don't care to pull up the scripture here, we're going to be in Genesis uh, 6. We're going to start with 9. So this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come to me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms on the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. So, does anybody know how old Noah was when he got this message? I'm going to wait for somebody to raise a hand or shout something out because we're kind of interactive. Thank you. 500 years old. So nobody in here has got that number beat. Some of you might think that you're retirement age and that you're too old to be doing something or whatever, but nobody in this room has got that beat. So this is applicable to everybody in this room, unless somehow you're hiding your 500-year-old driver's license way better than what I thought. So in this 500 years of age that Noah was, what was some of the things that was going on in Noah's life? He was still having kids. He was still trying to feed those kids, give them housing, provide for family and, and, and everything else that was going on in life. So if you're 20, 30 years old and you're raising kids, that means that it's still applicable to you. And his kids that are being born that helped work on this ark, it's still applicable to, to young kids because they all had a part in it. So in other words, it really doesn't matter what season we're in, there's a job that needs to be done that we can be doing. And so as I started thinking about this, and, and this is where I kind of had a humbling moment, because the earth had been around for 1,600 years or so, uh, that Adam and Eve had started populating. Um, I was humbled whenever I started doing some research, and this is, this is totally, this is nothing biblical. This is people's speculations, okay? So I want to stress the fact that these numbers could be greatly off, or they could be spot on. Nobody has a clue. But there are several people that call themselves to be scholars that estimated the Earth's population between 350 million and 4 billion. I was very humbled with that. Because how many people made it on the ark? How many people survived? Eight. Eight. So as I started thinking about this, and I'm, I'm going to say that those numbers mean nothing, Okay. I don't know why in my mind I've always thought that there was only like 150 people on the face of the earth when this happened. Like, okay, there's eight good people. There was a couple hundred that was bad. I mean, put it in perspective, you know, a, a fourth, of the, or were, uh, fourth of the world's population claims to be a Christian. Whether they are or not, God only knows, but that's what they claim today. And so of the eight billion people that's on the face of the earth, they're saying that two billion are Christians. I'm going to say that's probably a pretty generous number. But in that day and in, in time, whenever Noah was given the command to build the ark, say there's 350,000. Eight people made it. 
And so I was very humbled as I, as I researched this. And, as, and I, I mean, everybody has their own take on, on the growth population rates and things like that, that, that they've all come up with these really great mathematical forms to, to come up with a number. And this is all speculation, like I said. But regardless, it was a very humbling thought to me to think that of God's rescue plan of the ark, of this boat that was designed to keep people safe, Noah's neighbors, cousins, best friends, none of them made it. And why? So that's what I started resonating back in my mind. Why was there only this many people that made it? Noah's dad passed away five years before the flood. His, his grandpa passed away the year of the flood. So maybe there have been two more that would have made it. So now we're up to 10 versus however many uh, thousands or millions that we want to to put into this complex here. Regardless, there was a whole lot of people that perished and God's salvation plan was sitting right before them. And so then I started thinking about our church here. And I think we've got a church of four to 500 people here uh, on an average of, of through the week that come in and out. And I think how many people are here serving every week? How many are, are keeping this boat going? Is it 5%, 10%, 50%, 80%? But if, if, if you start just kind of creatively thinking about that, the numbers probably get a little thinner than what we would like to admit. Because most generally, it comes down to, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I'm too whatever to give today, so I'm going to do that next week or I'm going to do this whenever. And so I, I once again go back into to Noah's time and I think, what's some of the reasons why some of the people that maybe even helped build the ark? More than likely, there was more than just his family that helped build the ark. So why didn't they stick around? Do you think any of them stuck around for a week and said, ah, oh, this guy's crazy. It's, it's clearly we're setting up on a bluff like we are here. How hard would it be for the whole earth to be surrounded or be consumed in water. We can find a mountaintop. We can find something. You find an excuse as to why you don't need to, or maybe why it's not important, or maybe why more people have got more time than what you do, and you're just too stressed and too too worn thin. So we we can come up with lots of reasons and lots of excuses. But also, I even got to thinking, how many of them maybe came and helped for 10, 15, 20 years, and then just wore out? They faded out. Was it something to do with the fact that they were afraid that they couldn't get along with Noah and his family uh, for a long period of time being cooped up? Um, what about how many people would really, really love to hang out for a year with a whole bunch of stinky animals? How many windows were on the, was, was on the ark? Had great ventilation, right? Because how many windows they have? Yeah, and it didn't get opened. So the airflow in there would have been bad, to say the least. And the air quality would have been bad, to say the least. So maybe some of them talked himself out of that. Maybe some of them decided that I'm just not a wood builder. If we were working with metal, we could have been done this. Or maybe if we were doing this kind of a job instead of this one, I'd be there for it. But think of all the reasons why all these thousands, maybe millions of people talk themselves out of being a part of it and talk themselves out of being there when the, when the ark got closed. And really what it comes down to is it really doesn't matter what the reason is. They chose that reason. 
They chose death over life. They chose to perish instead of choose life. And so how many times in our life do we have an option of choosing the right or the wrong, or we choose uh, what's comfortable versus what's uncomfortable? And that's what we come into. That's what I think comes down to so much of the reason why our church is, is pretty much, I guess, uh, ran with such a short number of people. The people that are volunteering every week, the people that are showing up, uh, putting in tireless hours, um, it's because only a few choose what is the uncomfortable every day and stick with it. And some of it's because we've been hurt, we've, we've experienced somebody say something mean or do something mean, or whether it was on purpose or not on purpose. Uh, but I always go back to the, to the, um, uh, the restaurant mentality. If you have to have a perfect restaurant experience to ever go back, there would be no restaurants. Because at some point in time, something will happen wrong. You'll have to wait too long. The food won't be quite right. The order will be messed up. Whatever. It's because we're not perfect people. And so if we have a, a, a guess, an expectation for our church that we don't have on anything else, that still comes back to us. Are the leaders of the church perfect? Absolutely not. The people of the church aren't either. Noah was, even though it says that he was found perfect in his generation, it doesn't mean Noah was perfect. Noah still had a whole list of flaws. He was still human. It just so happened that compared to the other people that he was around, God said, this is the guy that I'm going to use. In this season, he's the one that's seeking me. He's the one that whenever I ask him to do something, he's going to do it. Let's go to the next verses here in Genesis. In 6.22, it says, Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded. And then in 7.5, it says, And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. Noah was an old man, but he also knew how to get it right. Most generally, what we find in our life of, of ministry here is that if we're on a mountaintop today, we're probably going to hit get hit with about everything that you could get hit with the next day. And we've told lots of people through the years that whenever you have your best accomplishments, it'll be the day before or the day after that Satan literally will throw everything at you to try to destroy you. And so many times that works. Um, me and Lucas were talking this morning because um, we've been, been studying King David here uh, on Sunday mornings whenever Jake is preaching. I literally feel like he was literally goes from the mountaintop to skydiving without a parachute the next day. The guy is hot, cold, hot, cold. I don't know if bipolar was a diagnosis back then or not, but it's like almost like that's what, that's what David worked with. But we have the same experiences here. I can do the greatest thing in the world and five minutes later look, look at Jamie and say, well, why did you do that? Or why didn't you do this? Or whatever. And crush him just like that. Not that we have, but I'm just picking on Jamie because he's up front here. And that's all it takes so many times for us to, to decide that we're just going to abandon our faith. We're going to abandon uh, the church that we've been a part of. The church has been here doing what it's doing for over 200 years now. Changed lots and lots and lots of lives. Um, eight lives just this year that's already been baptized here. Um, lots of salvations through the years. So I think, is there anything really wrong with what we're doing here at this church that keeps people from wanting to be a part of it. 
And absolutely, there is. There's, there's lots of things that we're doing wrong because we're humans. Just like Noah was the exact same way. But it doesn't mean that it's detrimental. It doesn't mean that we, you have to have a perfect leader to want to follow him. So let's skip over to, uh, we're going to read a little, little something out of Exodus here um, about Moses. And I'm going to use this as a comparison as well. It says in, uh, in Exodus 17, 11, And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became very heavy, so that they took a stone and put it underneath him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands on one side and on the other, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So, G- so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people within with the edge of the sword. So here's another funny thing about whenever you help God's message um, get taken care of. I'm out in the elements all day. Somebody's face is right here holding my hand up. Noah has a boat full of stinky animals. Moses has got, I'm sure he had axe or whatever it is that was like perfect that made him not uh, stink at all that day, standing out in the elements while he was getting tired. The people that were surrounded by Noah or surrounding Noah and the people that were surrounding Moses, they had stinky jobs. It's not like it's perfect and, and just exactly how you want, when you want. It's uncomfortable. It's stinky. It's messy. That's life. Unfortunately, if you want to know what stinks about a church, you can get a mirror or look around. It's us. God's not what makes this, this a mess. God's not what makes it stink. It's us. But the beauty in all this is is that, yes, we're what messes it up, and we are what hinders what God can do, but it doesn't always have to stay that way. And so and there's, there's a, oh, uh, a verse I want to read for you in Ephesians. If you don't care to pull it up. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're created. This is what you're created to do. We're all created in the image of Christ. We know that, right? But you're created to be doing something. The people that got up and, and, and led the music this morning, they're created that way. I have no musical talent at all. I can't carry a note in a five-gallon bucket. The only way I can sing and not run people off is if I'm in a combine or a tractor miles away from anybody and there's enough engine noise that nobody can hear me. But I love it. I love music. Music moves me very much. Matter of fact, one of the one of the songs that as I pulled into church this morning, it spoke very loudly to me. Uh, it was Tenth Avenue North. Has got a song. It's called Control. So God, you don't need me, but somehow you want me. And that's a very loud message for me that I've said through years. And I'm pretty sure God probably just tweaked that just right for uh, Caleb's, um, I guess, song list for the morning. So I'd be reminded of that because He doesn't need me. Every gift that he gave me, he could have gave to anybody. Every gift that he gave you, he could have gave to anybody. It even says very clearly that if we don't do our job, that the rocks will cry out. So it's not like he has to have us, but he wants us. So why does he want us? And we go back to what got this all started. 
Why did I love to bring my wife flowers? Why do I love to see my kids probably more spoiled than what they should be? Because I love to see them have joy. I love to see them prosper. I love to look around and see so many kids that have went through the youth ministry that are still consistently currently serving. People that we've invested in, and you look back and you say, it worked. Doesn't always work, but on that one it did. And I think of words of, um, of Mick Colbert that spent a lot of time mentoring me whenever I was young. And he said, son, I can't do this or I can't do that. And he would mention lots of different things, but he said, the one thing I can do, he said, I can always get that trash can emptied before it needs to be emptied. He said, I might be the best, best person in the church to take out the trash. And what that told me was that Mick was not um, too good for any job. No matter what it is that we're doing, it's okay. Just do it. And when people offend you, whenever you get a little nasty on your hand, whenever you smell something a little stinky, it's okay. Because if it wasn't your stink that made it stink today, it probably will be tomorrow. Unfortunately, so many times in our life, though, we let one little thing or one little decision become a mountain. And that hinders us from doing what we're supposed to do. And pretty well anybody that I've ever known of that was involved in a church uh, really, really, truly involved that isn't uh, in today's world. It's because somebody hurt them. Somebody said something, did something. They felt like somebody uh, wouldn't use them because of years of um, of wrong decisions or, or whatever that looked like. And, and so they make up this lie in their mind of either somebody did something on purpose or that they're not good enough. And unfortunately, if you read the Bible, pretty much every hero in the Bible was a zero at some point in time right before or right after. So no matter what it is that you've done or going to do or currently doing, it doesn't disqualify you from serving. It might mean that you have consequences where you can't serve in certain areas, but that's okay because we all need somebody to serve in lots of different areas. This church of, say, four to 500 people here, there's lots of things that are open and places to serve. And a lot of this is on us because we've not presented you with enough opportunity or enough information to let you know what you need to be doing to serve. And that's because we're human. We're going to mess up. And a lot of it's on other people because whenever you get asked four or five different times and the answer is, no, I'm too busy or no, this works. So a lot of times then we just overlook that because we just assume that the answer is going to be the same as it has been several times in years past. But I look at the the 8 billion people that's on the face of the earth, and I think, how many of them are truly saved? And what are we doing about it? Southern Illinois is in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but we're like 30 miles from the closest Walmart, which means we're, we're kind of strange. We're getting to the point where it's like five miles from a family dollar, and if you're more than two miles from a family dollar, you're probably literally in the boondocks. You probably don't have an address because those things are literally everywhere. Dahlgren, seriously, Dahlgren. I keep thinking Dale's going to get one at some point in time, but we're still too far from anything, I guess. Maybe Walpole. Maybe Walpole would be a better place for one. We're in the middle of nowhere. But God's doing something pretty great here. And if you look back at all the stories of the Bible, that's normally kind of what happens. He takes somebody that's not qualified or takes a place that's really strange and really random and says, this is where we're going to start something pretty great.
All it takes is some people that's humble enough to get on board to say, yeah, let's, let's make this. Uh, let's make it happen. Let's follow him. Let's do what Noah said and, and be found faithful. Whenever God asks us to do it, let's show up and let's do it without cr- complaining and grumbling. Jake said that enough. You all should know that by now uh, to know his verse. Do all things without cr- complaining and grumbling. How great of a place could this be if we all just shared a little bit of a, a piece of the pie? And so it started me, making me think about, the once again, the boat that Noah was going to be on. And, and I feel like a lot of us in today's world are used to the cruise ship mentality. We buy our ticket, we show up, they cater to us, they run us here, they run us there, they drop us off at whatever port we want to be to, they feed us really, really, really good. And we get off the ship, we feel fulfilled, and everything's happy, happy-go-lucky. We've got a picture up here, Mike or Jace, if you don't care to pull it up. And I feel like this is what most of our cruise ships look like when we look at church. We got one guy sitting out there in a big body of water, paddling his heart out, trying to make sure everything gets taken care of. That's not what God's picture of the church is supposed to look like. The next picture is a little bit more streamlined of what we're supposed to be looking like. Everybody's working together, not working against each other, but working together to motivate and to move and to spread the gospel. And so you think of these 8 billion people, and six of which are probably lost and dying and going to hell, maybe more like seven of the billion. Um, what are we doing about it? Are we comfortable? Are we hurt? So we're choosing to, to, to stay in a corner, whatever the reason is that we're not getting on the boat to fulfill it and to fulfill what we're supposed to be doing, it's on us. It wasn't Noah's fault that all the people that was on the face of the earth perished. Noah built the ark. Animals got on the ark. The people that trusted Noah got on the ark. Noah even begged people to get on the ark with him, but they didn't. So when it comes down to it, it doesn't really matter who's sitting in this pulpit. It doesn't matter who's sitting in in the staff positions of the church. What matters is what are you doing with a part of the body that we are, or what are you not doing? And if you want to go back to a joy-filled life, which is what I love to see as people smile and, and spread their joy, if you want to see that, serve. Like I said, I can't play a guitar. I could make a horrible racket with a guitar if I beat it on the floor and played it more like a drum. Probably would sound better than if I tried to play it and strum it. That's not my gift. I understand if that's not your gift, but you have one. If that's working in the nursery, if that's spreading gravel, if we're getting ready to go through a building project, if that's swinging a hammer, Whatever the case is, there's a job for you that just requires you to say, yeah, I'll do that. And honestly, you probably need to be kind of relentless with it because if you know that that's your gift, show up on a real regular basis. We might not catch it the first time. We might not catch it the 10th time because once again, every hero in here is a zero. Just because we should be paying attention doesn't mean that we are. We might be having our off day that day as well. 
But what's amazing is whenever you look at that boat right there, that's how you speed race a boat without a motor. You get everybody in sync, and when they paddle together, it's amazing how fast those boats can go. And it's not all the work on one guy. Everybody shares a part of the load. That's what we're created to do. We're created to spread his joy. We're created to spread the gospel. And we're created to do it with each other, which is why we're a part of the church. So I'm going to have Jamie go ahead and start coming up here. Um, I told first service you could tip me later because I'm going to let you out early. Um, so you actually get to beat everybody to the restaurants and, and, and get your meal before the crowd gets there. Um, but it's, it's a short and sweet message. It's just that simple. You know, it's kind of like the, uh, the verse that's about prayer, you have not because you ask not. Most generally, the reason that we don't have the joy is because what we're created to be doing, we aren't doing. You can take a crescent, I'm a, I'm a mechanic, so you can take a crescent and use it as a hammer, but it's not long and that crescent's not really worth using as a crescent because it's beat up and mangled. And that's kind of the way that we are here. If we're expecting everybody to be catered around on this cruise ship and the one guy's paddling the boat, He's going to be exhausted and burnt out, and you're not going to get where you want to go when you want to go there. And it's all on all of us. So when you start, start thinking about the stinky things of church, remember it's us. When you start thinking about the great things of church, it's on him just waiting to give it to you. So just like the blessings that we like to give to, to others, the joy that it comes with that, that's what he has in store for you if you'll just volunteer to do what he's asking you to do. So as Jamie starts to sing here, um, you're left with a choice. You stay where you are today, whether you have salvation or you don't have salvation, whether you're a member of the church or you're not a member of the church, whether you're baptized, not baptized, whether you're volunteering weekly, daily, yearly, or not at all. Come to the altar and talk to God about it. Find out what you need to be doing. Thank you all. We just would like to thank you for watching today's sermon, and we pray that it has been a blessing and an encouragement in your walk with Jesus Christ. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life, or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.